Good morning. As he said, my name is Rourke Enters. I am indeed a student at Liberty University, and I am an undergraduate student. I graduate this May. We're so close. And then I have more school in the fall. So, you know, just it's never ending, I swear. It is not ever going. Okay. It's coming. It's coming. But this morning, I am super, super excited because I have the opportunity to open God's Word. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, please open with me to 1 John chapter 4. And that's 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 6. If you would read with me. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world." You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you would, pray with me. God, I thank you for for these times where I can, can open your word, God, and, and learn from, from the writings of the apostles. God, I beg that, that this time would be fruitful, that you would remind me of, of what I need to be reminded of, God, that you would give me the words to speak, God, and that you would remind all of us of the hope that we have in salvation, remind all of us of the power of the cross, and remind all of us, most importantly, of your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Now, the title of my message this morning is Determining Discernment. And friends, how many of you have ever heard of the TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Hands? Hands. So, this is really old TV show from like 2000, you know, I guess 20 years ago, super old. And I, I remember like watching a couple episodes, and in this TV show, there's, there's an individual who's invited on, and they have to to pick different answers to different questions, and they have to discern what the right answer might be. And if they do that really, really well, and they answer all the questions correctly, they get to the end, and they win a million dollars. And so, all of a sudden, as they're playing this game, their value right, increases for every correct question that they answer. Their value as they go along is determined by the discernment and the, the answers that they give. And a lot of times as Christians, that's how we interpret our faith. We think that we have to give a right answer a lot of the times, or we have to, we have to discern something, or we have to figure something out, right, in order to, to establish our value in the kingdom of heaven. But this passage takes a different path. So if you would, join me again in, in verses 1 through 3. Where John writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. So if you look in the text with me, there's a, a word that comes up multiple times as we read. And that word is spirit. Now, if you're like me, you've probably read that a couple times and you're going, okay, spirit, I, I, I kind of get what they're saying. It's this soul or something. It's, it's what makes up this person, right? Or their, their spirit. That's, that's how they feel about things. Or I, I don't really know. But if we look both at this word and, and it's... And, its New Testament context in the Greek, we understand that this word is the same word used every time, and it's, it's designed to elicit an idea for breath or wind or, or very essence of being that exists within inside of us. Now, this, the same exact word is used in 2 Timothy 3.16, where, where Paul writes the, the that all scripture is inspired by God and is, is beneficial for rebuke and for teaching and for correcting in righteousness. Right, so we get this idea that it's, it's, it's the very essence of God or the very essence of what makes you, you, or me, me is imparted through the Spirit. So to, to make an example of this, everyone, I want you to pull out your right hand. Put your right hand up, everybody. All right, flip it over so that way the back of your hand is facing it. All right, now everybody blow. Pretty, pretty cold, right? Some cold air coming out. All right, now everybody breathe on the back of your hand. It's much warmer, right? So this illustrates what it means by spirit or inspired or the very essence. It's the, the warmth of you imparted upon your hand through your breath, through every essence of your being, right? But how do we test these spirits? Well, John answers that question. I'm glad you asked. He says that we have to determine if someone is in Christ or not. So how do we do that? Well, the text says that if someone confesses that Christ came in the flesh, then they represent the very nature of God. Right? They have the spirit of God inside of them. And now this, this specific note on, on the confession of Christ is very different from just recognizing that Jesus lived on this earth or you know, was who he said he was. No, in, in this, John is referencing that you recognize and have a salvific faith in Christ. And this, this specific denotation of in the flesh demands that we acknowledge the full deity and humanity of Christ. Christ was fully God, but he puts on the flesh of man to come to this earth and to live a perfect life, and to die a sinner's death. He takes on the sins of this world, on the cross, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And further, it's, it's more than just a recognition, again, like I said, it's more than just a recognition that Jesus was on this earth because it's a full, repentant confession of faith. A full recognition of who Jesus is and who he said he was. A full response to his gospel. Now this parallels, again, what Paul wrote in Romans 10, 9, when he says, if you, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. 
So again, it's not a mere recognition of the incarnation of Christ, but a repentant, salvific belief in him. John then moves into the text and, and contrasts this idea of a, a repentant belief in him with that of the Antichrist and of false prophets. Now some scholars contend that when he's, he's introducing these, anti, these Antichrist figures, these Antichrist spirits or these false prophets, that he's addressing spe- a specific point in Christian history where a bunch of people who said they were believers up and left the church. And whether he's addressing them directly or addressing them throughout time, the meaning remains the same. The intention of this passage is to denote the word antichrist, right? Now, a lot of the times in our our current culture, we get that confused. But this passage is, is clear that the antichrist is quite literally intended to mean against Christ. And that they represent the full spirit of someone against Christ. And this passage should help us as we understand our interpretation and our doctrine of hell. A lot of the times, and I hear this from, from many people, we all, we all know someone who says, I've, I've been a good person. I, I've lived a good life. I've done a lot of good. I, I don't think I'm, I'm going to go to hell. I think I, think I have a place in heaven. I've been a good, a, a good person. But this passage is clear. Either you have a full salvific faith in Jesus, Either you have a full repentant faith in Jesus, you follow him, or you don't. And the critical nature of this is that if you don't follow Christ, you are a full embodiment and breath representation of the spirit of the Antichrist. And friends, I beg you that that in both cases you recognize the, the... the instance, the, the point that is being made by, by John as he writes. He recognizes that in, in both cases, it's the object of the individual's faith that determines who they are. If you are a, a representation of the Antichrist, it's not that you are, are terrible, you know, worldly standards, terrible person, but that you embody and your faith is not in that of Christ and your object of faith, what you hold as the core of your foundation is something other than him. But friends, if you have a salvific faith in Christ, we hold, we hold to an object of faith that is Christ on the cross. Friends, we hold to a, an image of a perfected Savior who came down to this earth, who lived a perfect life, put on the flesh of man, humbled himself, even to the point of death, put himself on the cross, sacrifices his life for us. This is the object of our faith and our salvation. But in dying, does not remain dead, but rises from the grave three days later. Now, last weekend, I had the opportunity to, to go to two different weddings in two days, one in Dallas and then one back up here in Virginia. It's a lot of travel. But something critical to every single wedding is the exchanging of rings. And something you notice, especially with a woman's ring, is that there's a specific item that's been set into the, the center of a woman's ring. And this item is a, it's a little bit flashy. My fiance has one on her. Ooh, my fiance has one on her, her hand. But it's this object that's in the center 
that gives the ring its value. Now we know in the exchanging of rings and, and, and the point of marriage is not to just share rings and have fun. and you know, it's, it's much more than that. But one of, the, one of the unique things about the exchanging of rings is that it's, it's a physical manifestation, a physical representation of the value put into a marriage. Now, if, if you have a ring and, and you have a specific stone that's been set into it, maybe it's a cubic zirconia. Now, this, this specific stone looks like a diamond. It may walk and talk like a diamond. It may act like a diamond in all ways. But it's not a diamond. Well, maybe you have a, maybe you have a diamond inside of it. And this also may look a lot like a cubic zirconian sometimes. It may also you know, be very flashy and, and look like a, a perfectly normal ring. But it's the very foundational makeup of each of those individual stones that sets them apart from each other. One is significantly more valuable than the other because of its foundational makeup. They are completely and utterly different, and therefore they are completely and utterly different in value. Now, in his commentary on the letters of John, world-renowned theologian and evangelical Christian John Stott writes, true faith examines its object before reposing confidence in it. And friends, if, if your faith is in Christ, the object of your faith is sure. John 3.14 says, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. And in doing so, Jesus introduces the confidence in Christ to us. And our faith is solidified by his resurrection. This morning I ask, is the object of your faith Christ? This is simple. Is the object of your faith Christ? Or is the object of your faith something else? It's black and white, one or the other. Yes, no. And friends, if, if your object of faith is Christ on the cross, what a phenomenal encouragement this is. Look with me at verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Friends, what a, what a simple line. What a simple line to remind us of our faith. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, John doesn't stop with telling us that our identity is in Christ, but continues on to, to identify what happens if you have a changed heart and what happens if you hold to an object of faith that is Jesus. Read with me in verses 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens. We are from God. The one who knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So in verse 5, we see that the world acts like the world. This should come as no surprise. 
People who are lost, who don't have Christ, don't act like it. Surprise. And so, what, what does it mean to act like the world? Well, John, again, clarifies this. Earlier in his book, when he writes, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. That seems to clarify some of it. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. Now these things, they they elicit a worldly response. And people who are from the world live as though they are from the world. I was in life group a couple weeks ago, and it was, it was one of the first times we were in with this new group. And I remember each one of them, as, as we, we sat and we talked for a couple hours on a Sunday evening, I remember how some of them said, oh, this world is it's just, it's just going crazy. I don't know what to do. This world is it's just, it's just wild. I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to react. What are my my children going to do when they grow up? I I don't know. The world's going crazy. We sat and we listened. We sat and we listened, and almost every single one of them said, this world is going crazy. I remember as we drove home afterwards, as we drove back to campus, my fiancé and I had a conversation where where we talked through, man, this world is crazy, but how good is God? It seems in, insane, and, and like everything's you know, going wild. We had COVID, and now Ukraine, and, and wars, and famine. How good is God? Friends, this world continues to go crazy, and it should not surprise us. People will act like the world for as long as the world will be. And until a new earth and a new creation has been been sprung up upon this land, it will continue to be that way. Now, I want to identify a a clear pitfall in this passage. And that revolves the contexts around this passage. Instantly after reading it, especially if if we're believers, we we get this idea of an us-versus-them context. Uh, The worldly versus the the Christ-like and it's, it's back and forth, and one versus the other, and it's, we, have to, we have to fight, we have to fight, we have to fight. But that's not the context of this passage. This passage is not saying, oh, well, if you're, if you're good, then good, and if you're bad, then bad, you know, and you guys got to battle it out, fight it out. No. This passage is, is written by John, and the whole greater context of his letter is that love is the only answer. So it's not an us versus them. It's not a us godly folk versus the worldly folk and we're going to fight it out till the end of time. No. We are called to love them. We are called to show them Christ through our love for them. And friends, the us versus them context has is, already occurred. It was good versus evil and it was battled out on the cross and Jesus won. It's, it's been won. There is no us versus them anymore. It's Christ versus the Antichrist. It's Christ versus anything that is not of him, and he has won. He won it on the cross. And so as we move into verse 6, I want you to keep that in mind. 
Verse 6 reads, We are from God. The one who knows, us, knows God listens to us. The one who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. In this verse, John is carrying the context of the greater apostles with him. He's not just saying, well, you know, every Christian has, has a right to be listened to, and you know, if, you, if you profess a faith and, you know, and somebody says, hey, do this, then you've got to do that. No, that's not what John is writing to. John is saying, if they listen to us, carrying the full weight of the apostles, so the book of the word, right, if they listen to the word of God, the inspired, infallible word of God, then they are of Christ. Now, godly counsel is critical to a believer's walk. Don't mistake that. I'm not saying don't listen to godly counsel in your lives, but I am saying that you are called to listen to the commandments within the New Testament. And there are a lot of them. We're told by John that Jesus said, and I quote, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now this is not proposed as some bar to reach in a never-ending works-based salvation. No. But this is a recognition that if a salvific faith, the object, if the object of your faith is Christ and he lives inside of you, he calls you to something greater. He calls you to action. Now these, these commands, these instructions and clarifications, they're... they're, they're proposed for us by the object of our faith. And in this passage, it it reminds me of of Titus 2, 6-8, where Paul writes, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And in that word, it's supposed to be examples of good deeds. We might show others our love for Christ because we show them through our love for them and the way we keep his commandments. One of my my close mentors and pastors, Chris Dowd, once told me, function follows form. When you get in your car, you put it in reverse, you begin to pull out of a driveway, you expect the car to go into reverse and pull out of the driveway. You don't expect it to get up and fly away. At least not yet. We're getting there. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. If someone has been made a new creation in Christ, we should expect their function to follow their form. We should expect that they live a life that is changed by the very nature that is inside of them now. And these decisions that we make and, and the, the things we choose to buy, what we, what we browse on the internet, everything should embody the character of God through his spirit that now lives in us. Because we are now embodiments of Christ through that. And so friends, I ask, are we, are we living as, as though the object of our faith has called us to live? Are we loving those who do, do not hold the object of our faith so that they might one day? Are we being examples of good deeds? Are we, are we showing that, that others don't have any bad thing to say about us? Think on these things this week, friends. And join me 
and asking God to just increase that in our hearts. Let's pray. God, we, we hold to you as the object of our faith. God, we thank you for salvation, your work on the cross. God, we beg that, that you continue to, to transform our lives through the way we live and the, the way we act, God. God, lead us to, to actions that call others to faith, God, that lead others to the, to the hope that we have in us, God. And lead us not into temptation this week, God, but deliver us from evil. We love you, and we thank you, and it's in your son's mighty, mighty name that we pray. Amen.